botanically, North Carolina is a super interesting place, and you know, ecologically speaking, um, and we have a we have a rich history of sort of botanical pioneers as well. Um, like Coker's Arboretum right in Chapel Hill is named... Tall Galton, who you're hearing there, lives in Yancey County and runs a business named Snake Root Eco Tours. Those are guided hikes through the forests of Yancey County and the South Toe Valley around Mount Mitchell. Before coming to this part of the state, Tall spent time in Durham at the Museum of Life and Science there, which is where I live and I really love that museum, on a side note. That's why you're going to hear me ask about the Eno River during our interview. In fact, there's a lot that we're going to cover beyond his tours, but we're also going to focus primarily on Tall's business, plant blindness, which I had no idea about, and apparently I need to study more, and what else Tall loves about the outdoors in this part of the world and elsewhere in the state. Let's get back to hearing it directly from the source, Tall Galton. This is NC Travel Chat, and I'm your host, Carl Hedinger. I was born in California. And then uh, lived in New England for a few years, but I've been in North Carolina for almost 25 years. And now we're kind of tucked away in the shadow of Mount Mitchell here in the South Tail Valley. And um, I've been really an educator for pretty much all my adult life. Um, so actually, I started at the Museum of Life and Science in Durham. Wow. Um, yeah, that, you know that place? I, I live right down the road from it, actually. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great place. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, my wife and I moved up here. We had one boy at the time and our, our next was born up here, but we moved up here to work at Arthur Morgan School, which is like a tiny little um, boarding school, quick boarding school up here in the mountains. It's a really exceptional place. I was a trip leader, farm manager, administrator, teacher, of course. Also spent some time working uh, with a college program associated or, or based at the school called the Arte Project over the last few years. But really my focus for about five years now almost has been ecotourism. Basically, my, my passion is to share my love and knowledge for the, the, these forests with both residents and visitors to the mountains. How long have you been doing tours? Um, so I've been doing this specific, you know, these, these types of tours for... I guess this is my fifth year in operation. And then I, you know, I've, of course, I'd led trips. I mean, it's starting way back, like with the museum even, but, um, but even with the school here for, for quite a while, outdoor trips, hiking trips, and also like, you know, trips down to Florida, the Everglades, Cumberland Island, places like that. Oh, wow. You led trips in all those places? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's cool. When you were in Durham, did you do something similar? Like, around the Eno River? Um, well, it's funny you asked about the Eno because that's really where I started falling in love with these eastern forests. And, you know, they're a little different up here in the mountains, but there's a lot of similarities with the ones at the Eno River. And my wife and I, we would find ourselves going to the Eno pretty much any time that we had available. That was like our little escape, was hiking along the Eno and, and you know, learning the wildflowers and spending time in that ecosystem. So I don't think I did really anything official, not very little at the, you know, but I did some like camp groups with the, with the museum and such. So anyway, we could talk about Durham forever. Cause I, you know, I love yeah. where I live, but uh, yeah, let's, Durham's let's, a great place. let's learn a little bit more about what you do. And so what can a person expect during one of your tours? Yeah. Well, the, the basic thing that they're going to expect is to see some really cool places that probably wouldn't find on your own and to get a real full immersion in the forest. I don't know. Are you familiar with the concept of forest bathing? 
Have you heard of that? Not really. Go. What? What it's, is that? It's, yeah, it's kind of a. It's. It's. You know. It's. It's in the media a little bit these days, but um, I think it originated the the idea or the the words originated in Japan, and it's it's almost like a kind of therapeutic or meditative practice that people feel like it's it's super good for your mental health to go out and spend time in the forest. And there's all sorts of ways of doing it. And I don't. You know, what I do isn't intentionally that i don't call it forest bathing most of most of the time and i'm not like a, a technically like a, a a forest therapist or anything but <laughs> um but but people get that effect by being out in the forest and essentially the idea is that well it actually goes way back to this concept called biophilia mm. which is this innate love of um nature but you know life essentially that humans have um, goes way back to our evolutionary beginnings and our dependence on things like fresh water and plants and animals out in the forest or, or wherever, you know, actually we pretty much evolved mostly in the savanna or, or our more recent, recent human history. So it explains all sorts of things, the idea of biophilia. But anyhow, part of it is just that our, the idea is that our psychology kind of depends on time in nature as, as like a key component of, of mental health. So that's definitely part of what people are going to experience um, when they come out with me into the woods. Every hike is like a, a session of forest bathing, of, of in a sense. And a lot of what I do is teach people to notice things. So hmm. the more, you know, really my philosophy is the more they know, um, the more they can learn about what they're seeing in the forest, the more they see, the more they notice, and the richer the experience is for them to be out there. So you know, even people who go hiking all the time and they, they may enjoy hiking, but if they don't really know the forest in an intimate way, then um, then they're not getting it quite as a, a rich an experience as, as when you actually know what you're looking at when you're out there. I guess my question would be, how would somebody uh, learn to know the forest in an intimate way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's a very slow process. It's not something that happens overnight. And, you know, so for me, it's, it's been a, a work of decades, essentially. You know, I certainly have a, a, a very intimate relationship at this point, but it's, it's constantly getting deeper because um, I, you know, there's, there's infinite amounts of stuff to learn about what's living out there and how those living things are interacting with each other. So for somebody who just comes on one of my hikes for, you know, say four hours or something, they'll get introduced to a variety of, you know, mostly plants and fungi, some, some animals, but we, we, we often don't see very many animals. But just by introducing them to, you know, a few of the sort of layers of the forest, um, they start to see the, you know, the dramatic amount of diversity out there. And, um, you know, once you see something and then you see it again and you start recognizing it, then it sort of becomes like, you know, like a friend or a companion when you're out in the forest. So you, it's, that's all part of the sort of deepening the relationship that people have. A lot of people these days, most people, in fact, are what, what we call plant blind. And plant blindness is just essentially because most people don't have that kind of relationship with the forest and don't, don't depend on it for their food and their livelihood, that all they see is this sort of like a green wall of plants and trees and um don't notice all the differences and plants don't really have faces to most people. They don't have names. So by introducing people to the different species out there, part of my work is to help people sort of overcome their plant blindness so that they can actually really see all the, all the different 
individuals in the forest and and the, the layers. If that's something you're trying to teach people about, who would you say would be like your ideal person to come along? Yeah, basically anybody who's um, excited to be outside and and interested and curious in in learning about um, what's out there. Um, you know, maybe they they think they want to go on hikes they they you know they've always wanted to but they don't really know where to start or they are already an avid hiker but they want to you know really learn they they really want a sort of an inside view of of what they're seeing when they're out on the trails in the mountains do you have uh like a range of difficulty kind of hikes that you offer i do so i do everything from like short you know like uh one to two hour walks that are really very much focused on um, just looking at sort of specific aspects of the forest. So um, certain, you know, spring wildflowers, for instance, we go to these special rich coves where the, the best wildflowers grow um, or a firefly walk um, hmm. also like later in the spring um, or a mushroom walk where we basically spend you know, an hour sort of wandering probably about half a mile or so, you know, not getting very far. And then but looking at like dozens of species of mushroom during mushroom season. So that's, that's like, as far as physical um, difficulty, those are the easiest. And then on up to, um, I'll do, I'll do as strenuous a hike as anybody can, can really want. But um, a, a typical one would range for like a, a four hour kind of a hike. Typical one would range from like, three miles with an elevation gain of about 500 feet which is it's moderate but it's not terribly strenuous i mean I, most most people can do something like that and then a, a lot of the ones i do are a little bit more strenuous so more like four or five miles round trip with a, about a thousand foot elevation gain oh wow and, you know, some of these places i take people it's just like you have to kind of put in some work to to get to these really special locations and then where we live here at the bottom of the valley, it's a 3,000 foot climb all the way to the top. And I love doing that, <laughs> but, um, you know, most of my clients aren't really up for that. Um, but if, you know, occasionally I'll have like a school group or something like that, that's like really wants to tackle climbing the mountain and I love wow. taking people up there. So do you offer a lot of stuff like in, I guess fall would be a good time for you. Uh, what about the winter? Um, less so in the winter, but I'm, yeah. I'm certainly like open for business, but it, it definitely quiets down. Um, I keep myself busy in, in other ways around here doing construction and such, but I, um, I do basically it's, it's sort of like private custom hikes. So anytime somebody contacts me and, and wants to go out, I'm, I'm always happy to pay, take people out in pretty much any, any conditions or any time of year. Yeah, you're right. This is October is, uh, you know, season and a lot of people are coming to the mountains and I've got some, some things, um, scheduled over the next few weeks, as far as, um, people who just want to get out on some beautiful trails and see the fall colors. Hopefully things are going well for you this year, but have you had to change things up due to what's going on with COVID-19? Yeah, I've definitely had to change things a little bit. I've, I have been pretty lucky. I, I feel very lucky actually. Um, I had been moving towards doing hosting more weekend retreats. I partner with with a a really lovely little bed and breakfast here called the Silo Inn. Um, that's oh. just down the road from me, and the owners are good friends of mine and, and really wonderful people. And we um I've hosted a, a a couple of retreats there, and where it's like a weekend where you know 
10 or so people get together and we book out the whole inn and I take them on wildflower walks and firefly walks at night and hikes during the day. And so I've, I've been moving towards doing more of those. Um, you know, I'm wanting to sort of do about five or so a year. And I did, wow. had three of them scheduled this year. And, you know, of course, in, in April, which is sort of peak wildflower season here, we kind of shut, everything shut down. So, you know, I wasn't really doing anything at that point as far as taking visitors out and, and nobody was coming to the mountains because all the short-term rentals are closed. But then the end of May, I actually did host one of those weekends. And, you know, we were very careful. It was right after sort of the first reopening in North Carolina and everybody wore masks and we were outside pretty much the entire time. And, and it was smaller than usual. And it was fine. I mean, I think it was perfectly healthy and stuff, but it was it was definitely a lot of work to try to make everything happen and feed people under yeah. sort of COVID protocols and stuff. And so I, I didn't, and then, you know, the numbers sort of ramped up again in July. And so I canceled the one in July and just decided I'll, I'll, I'll do more of those next year, hopefully, <laughs> you know, yeah. I can get this thing settled by then. So I do look forward to doing more of those, but but in the meantime, you know, we sort of figured out that being outside was like a really safe place to be and that it was the kind of hikes that I do with um, small groups, usually just like a, one family and then me, you know, or maybe like, you know, sort of one household or two households and then me um, was actually pretty easy to conduct outside in a, in a really mm-hmm. safe manner. So, and then we also, my sons and I ran a little hiking camp for kids because there was real high demand for that. You know, kids have been pretty stir crazy this spring. And um, so a lot of the local family and a lot of the, you know, the, the sleepaway camps had to shut down. So mm-hmm. we just ran a, a little day camp for a bunch of local kids. And that was a lot of fun. So I, I yeah. really, you know, I enjoy working with young people and getting them outside. I had some real formative experiences when I was that age in the outdoors. So I'd yeah. like to be able to provide that for others. How did it feel the first time you got to sort of be around people again? That's a good question. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was good, but it was also a little weird, you know, cause in May when I, like, like when I hosted that weekend, we were mostly wearing masks. Um, when we were kind of close together outside, you know, we were able to take them off for the most part when we were hiking and further apart. But, um, it definitely was like trickier. There's just like a little bit of a, a barrier in yeah. a sense, but, but, you know, overall it was, it was fine. And, and as far as being where we are here, um, you know, I think once everybody kind of figured out that it was okay to be outside and, and socializing at a distance, but you know, the season was real amenable to that. So as far as my, my social life has been like fairly good, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert, so I don't mind just kind of <laughs> hanging out most of the time and getting together in small groups on hikes and stuff. I mean, part of the reason I started this podcast was because I missed uh, talking to people. So, so getting to chat with people like you is, is ideal right now, you know, because uh-huh. we don't really, being in Durham, it's, it's difficult to, to get together with people as we used yeah. to. Yeah, uh, I feel really lucky being out here. I really enjoy it. And also being an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the ideal place in a way because you're so spread out. So I guess uh, during your tour, do you have any uh, sort of personal favorite hikes you like to go on i don't um, want to spoil anything for people yeah i mean i i can't i you know I, okay I, I can't talk about specific trails okay okay um sorry I'm, a, I'm just a believer that you know people should 
find them themselves or ask locals or, or even hire a guide. In fact, it's it's become part of the new leave no trace guidelines. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but the sort of low impact uh, outdoors life. So, you know, going out into the outdoors, but but making sure you're you're having as as low an impact on the places that you're visiting as possible. And part of the new LNT guidelines is actually they have social media guidelines and they're saying like, it's okay to post pictures and stuff, but if just if you avoid naming specific locations, then it then hmm. it helps keep those places from being like overused and abused. Um, mm-hmm. It's just real easy. Social media and, and the media these days in general, the internet is, is set up in such a way that information just moves too fast and yeah too fast for the good of of a lot of these you know special little outdoors locations and it ends up these places just can't handle the numbers of people that that end up visiting them well one of the things we we do provide a lot of guides to hiking and everything and locations but uh one thing we've been really working on is providing those leave no trace uh, sort of disclaimers at the top, especially with waterfalls, uh, because I've just seen some awful pictures of people leaving trash all over the place. And it's just like, why are you going to do that? Makes me so angry personally. But yeah, for sure. Anyway, would it be okay if I asked you then, maybe not counting your tours, what do you think are the best hikes in the Yancey County area? I mean, I love going up into the Black Mountains. So, you know, Yancey County, the Black Mountains are like sort of as far as the outdoor scene in Yancey County, it's like the, the heart of it. Um, Mount Mitchell, of course, is like the, the most famous mountain on that range. Um, it's the tallest one, but only by a few feet over some of its neighbors. And, you know, Mount Mitchell State Park is very accessible because the, there's a road going up there from, from the parkway. But there's all sorts of places to explore off of the parkway or hiking up to that ridge, you know, and it's it's definitely an arduous climb if you want to get all the way up to the top of the ridge on the onto the Black Mountain Crest Trail, but super worthwhile if, if you're up for that. And, you know, we've got our share of waterfalls. I, I, the ones I take people to are typically ones that don't even have names and aren't don't have aren't on official trails and such, but but the ones that are more well known or there's ones down by Black Mountain Campground and South Toe uh, River Road area, um, Roaring Fork, and um, and then up off the Parkway there's Crabtree Falls, which is also a great hike and wonderful spring wildflowers there. Yeah, I love that hike. Uh, we did that again this summer, and it was after a pretty heavy rain, so it was just like it was gushing. It was amazing. Yeah, that's cool. We've I've, I've been there when, you know, it's a trickle or when it's really gushing or even when it's frozen solid, which is really cool. That's my goal, I think, for the next time I go. I want to go in the winter, you know, when it's really cold and mm-hmm. see how it is. Is that part of the yeah. parkway? Are there any closures in that area? Yeah, that's the thing is usually the parkway ends up closing during those really harsh spells. It, it does vary. That part by Crabtree doesn't always close. The, the part that pretty much is closed all winter long is the part between Mount Mitchell and Asheville. Um, oh. It goes through Craggy Gardens. And there's just sections along there that are sort of like north facing and ice comes across the road and it just freezes solid all winter long. Um, oh, wow. But for the most part, they, they try to keep most of the rest of it open as long as the conditions are okay. So it just varies. When you're not in, in the Yancey County area, 
Is there anywhere else in North Carolina you like going? Um, yeah, I mean, I love exploring. Um, you know, of course, the mountains are sort of where my heart is right now. But um, uh, um, actually, botanically, North Carolina is a super interesting place, and you know, ecologically speaking, um, and we have a we have a rich history of sort of botanical pioneers as well. Um, like Coker's Arboretum right in Chapel Hill is named after the first first botany professor at UNC. And this guy, um, this other botanist at NC State, you know, 100 years ago, named B.W. Wells, wrote a book about the natural, it was called The Natural Gardens of North Carolina. And it was the first study of plant communities, like sort of the idea of certain plants liking to live together in certain places. And he identified 11 different plant communities in the book. And now North Carolina ecologists have named 339 different communities in North Carolina. And wow. they range from the high elevation spruce fir forest and, and rocky outcroppings. The, the spruce fir forest is what I call the cloud forest up here, where it's all mossy and full of these northern conifers, to you know rich coves of spring wildflowers and special little bogs that have you know rare orchids and carnivorous plants. So those are all their own separate plant communities. And I love visiting all the different ones. And um, my son lived and worked on the, in the coastal plain a lot over the past couple of years. So we've got to visit and revisit some of those places, like from back when we lived in Durham, like the Carolina Bays. Have you been down oh, there? Yeah. There's some of them are lakes, you know, some of them have been filled in, you know, or filled in on their own over the years and our farm fields or um, forests. Um, but some of them are still lakes like Jones Lake or the Bloom mm. Lakes area. Those are beautiful. And I love swamps. So I got last, <laughs> last spring, I guess I got to visit Green Swamp, which is um, one yeah. of the pretty much the only place in the world where uh, Venus flytraps live in the wild. So we got to go there and see some of them and some other unusual plants there. I'd love to go back to Merchant's Mill Pond. Have you been to that? That's a cypress swamp. Which Part county is that, that in? Do you know? Um, I don't know which county. It's in the very northeast corner of the state. So it's, okay. Um, kind of near, like just, I think it's north of the Alligator River Preserve. Okay. And I'm also really fond of undeveloped beaches and coastline. So something about being at a beach where, you know, you're just at the edge of this vast wilderness of ocean that's full of mysterious life forms and tons of seabirds and sea turtles. Yeah. I love sea turtles. So when we lived you know, in the Piedmont, we'd go to, we went to Hammocks Beach, mm. um, which is Bear Island. That's like a, you know, real wild uh, beach site in Cape Lookout. Now we mostly go because it's a little closer to get to the coast, to South Carolina. We usually go there to Cumberland Island in Georgia. Mm. I love those maritime forests with the live oaks and such. One of the cool things I love about the Outer Banks is when you're driving on or Highway 12 and uh, Pea Island, I really love. and. Uh, uh-huh. right across the street from the trail and everything is this beach. And it's just, to me, it, it looks totally different from many of the other beaches that you might find in North Carolina because it changes so often. It's all natural. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. So you, you do mention a lot of about botany and I was just curious, do you have any sort of recommendations for books to read or to like plan identifiers specifically to North Carolina? Yeah, I actually do have um, 
And you have a very here. nice collection behind you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, if if for a for a book about like the plant communities of um, North Carolina, I mean, it focuses on the mountains and Piedmont, so it doesn't include the coastal plain. I'll show you, um, but oh, I'll read the title. Okay. It's called Wildflowers and Plant Communities of the Southern Appalachian Mountains and Piedmont. It's by um, a botanist named Timothy Spira. I think he's based at Clemson or maybe Western Carolina. I'm not hmm. sure, but. Um, Anyhow, he's a, uh, it's, it's a great book. Cause it's a, yeah, he's at Clemson. It's a, it's a really good summary of like what I was talking about the, the different plant communities and how certain plants like to grow together. And, and, and it, it gives you a different understanding of, or a different way of looking at the forest when you, when you start recognizing how, you know, certain parts of the forest look a little different and certain things seem to like growing in, in certain places, but not other places. And um, so um, and it's, and it's for, you know, nature lovers, but not, you don't have to be a, a botanist or, um, you know, professional to read it. It's, it's for lay people and it's a great book and it has, it has sort of a wildflower guide in the, in the back as well, but it's not oh, cool. specifically a field guide. And then there's, yeah. there's lots of field guides. Let's see the old one. There's wildflowers oh, of North Carolina, which is kind of the old standby. Um, there's a new one that Alan Weekly has put out. He's like the, the new chief botanist of North Carolina and it's called wildflowers of the Atlantic Southeast. And it just came out in the past year. Um, cool. Yeah. Good suggestions. So before I let you go, where can people find out more about you and your tours? Yeah. Well, I have a website. It's uh snaker In fact, I, I have a re- resources page on there as well with some books, you know, oh, if you're cool. in, you know, if you want a longer <laughs> list of uh, mushroom yeah. books and plant books and such. Yeah. And I also have, you know, you can sign up for a hike on there. If I don't have anything on the calendar scheduled, it doesn't mean that I'm not available. It just means I haven't gotten around to updating it and you can just email me or call and set something up this year 2020 in general i'm mostly doing private custom hikes for folks and i sort of have a menu to choose from of the the standard go-to hikes um but i can be flexible as well and help you figure out something that works for you uh, i also have an instagram and um, i like posting stuff on that i like the format i <laughs> in an ideal world i try to get away from social media and i i do have a blog on my on my website and i'd love to use that more but um, for now i do i do still post on instagram so what's your handle on instagram uh snakeroot.eco okay cool well thank you so much we try hard to bring unique voices to this podcast and i hope you agree that some of the things we covered on this episode might not get discussed again until we bring tall back for more if he's willing a big thank you to Tal for talking with me in the middle of a typically very busy fall season. On a personal note, I'm hoping to take the family out there and join him for a wildflower hike or one of his waterfall hikes, which you can learn more about on his site, snakerooteco-tours.com. We've also mentioned him and his business in our guides to Burnsville and the surrounding areas. All you have to do is visit nctripping.com and search for snake root, one word, ecotours, also one word, and you'll find some info and a link to his site. Thank you again for listening to NC Travel Chat. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review and some kind words, and don't forget to subscribe. Until the next episode, we hope you're able to get out there and see something awesome in North Carolina, all while leaving no trace, of course. Take care.